0: Log
1: Talk Radio State of Arizona versus Jodian Ann Arias, verdict count one. We the jury, duly impaneled and sworn, and the above entitled action upon our oaths, do find the defendant as you count one first degree murder guilty. I've been in the right place, but it must have been a wrong time. I been said the right thing, but it must have used the wrong line. I've
2: been on the right trail, but
1: it must Good the wrong evening, call. Mrs. Clerk. With Michael Carnahan and Lisa O'Brien, where we explore the most infamous cases in our country's history based not on the court of public opinion but from the perspective of the courts. This time, the court will read the verdicts. On count one, the verdict reads as follows We, the jury, find the defendant, Stephen A. Avery, guilty of first-degree intentional homicide as charged in the first count of the information.
0: Good evening and thank you for joining us for another episode of and Convincing, the show that looks at criminal cases from the perspective of the courts, not the court of public opinion. We're Lisa O'Brien podcasting from New Orleans, Louisiana, and Michael Carnahan from Little Rock, Arkansas. Tonight, in Episode 15, State of New York versus Stacey Castor, we will talk about the death of Stacey Castor's husband, David, who died in what was initially believed to be a suicide on August 22, 2005. Aspects of the scene bothered detectives, and they hesitated to close the case quickly. Stacy's fingerprints were eventually found on a glass of antifreeze found on the bedside table, and a turkey baster was found hidden in the kitchen trash can with trace amounts of antifreeze and David Castor's DNA. Surveillance of David's grave and Stacy's phone conversations gave police probable cause to exhume the body of Stacy's first husband, Michael Wallace, who died suddenly in January 2000. Shortly after the exhumation, with rumors of the findings making the rounds, Stacy's oldest daughter was found unresponsive in her bedroom with a conveniently placed suicide note that took responsibility for the deaths of Michael Wallace and David Castor. We'll talk about the case against Castor, the evidence proving that she killed two husbands and attempted to kill her daughter, her trial and direct appeal. We'll also talk about Castor's state post-conviction claim, and her sudden death in June of 2016. We're a live show, and as always, calls are welcome. Our phone number is three four seven nine eight nine one one seven one. And good evening, Michael.
1: Good evening, Lisa. Glad to be back uh, here with the uh, with the show. Uh, certainly was a interesting break. It's been a minute since we. Since we've been on, and you know there's been a lot of stuff going on uh honestly, part of me is a little bit glad we took the break uh, because of what happened, you know, as soon as we took the break, but uh definitely glad to be back and learning some more about some of these cases uh definitely, uh, I already got some information pulled up on stacy uh quite a lengthy Wikipedia article she's got,
2: but uh. Yeah.
1: Definitely some interesting things going out in the world. One thing I wanted to ask you about, and just obviously vagueness uh be the key here on this one, but I wanted to ask you, uh, one of the uh, situations, the situation specifically in Minneapolis, I was going to ask you because I saw somebody on CNN, and I forget who it was. It was somebody that was talking about the district attorney up there, and they said that it could actually – be a negative that they changed uh foreign police officer chauvin's uh charges. They upgraded them to second degree murder. It could be harder to get a uh, to get a conviction. I was just gonna ask you some insight on that.
0: I I think you're correct. Mm-hmm. And another that problem that them? they're another problem that they're gonna have is mm-hmm. that now uh, C- Benjamin Crump is involved and for those of you who don't recall, Benjamin Crump interfered in the George Zimmerman case
2: Oh, the
0: and his man. interference with many of the witnesses in that case is probably what led to Zimmerman's acquittal
1: yeah, speaking of which, he's an asshole signing back to Skittles I saw that, yeah, he's a you, jackass
0: uh, so, but yeah, I think upgrading it to second degree murder, depending on on what second degree murder is in in Minnesota. I think the difference um, is they
1: have it, to now provide prove that he intended to murder him. Which I mean, me right. personally, I believe. Hey, the dude saying I can't breathe. You continue the motion. You intended to do what you did, but I don't know what the quote unquote definition of intention is. Well
0: the the problem the problem with that is is that if you're saying I can't breathe you're breathing. If you can speak your airway is not compromised. Now I I I agree. I think that you know the 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 officers in Minnesota were beyond reckless. Right. I think they were negligent. I think that they they but the problem I have with George Floyd is there's a big piece missing. There is body there should be body camera footage showing what was transpiring in the vehicle
1: mm-hmm.
0: when they placed Floyd in the vehicle. And that if is he was that, inside that is, the vehicle smashing his head against something kicking Breaking, trying to break something, trying to knock the windows out. They have to get him under control. Mhm. They cannot leave him in there, smashing his head into the window, smashing his head into the, in the into the the cage. You know, they can't leave him in there, going bat crap crazy, breaking shit
1: right. in the car.
0: They have to get him out. Yeah. And if he's struggling when they're taking them out of the car or the, you know, the SUV, whatever it is, then, you know, that is all the more reason for them to try and bring the, the restraint measures up a notch.
1: Right. Right. Absolutely. And so there's a piece
0: missing from the picture as to right. what I mean, really there's, they're doing.
1: There's also evidence showing potentially that they may have known each other at a previous job. There's all sorts of stuff that we're still learning coming out that, you know, could swing it one way or the other. I was just wanting your opinion on the whole second degree, if that was the the uh, way to go on that, as far as what you thought. Hey.
0: It yeah, it could I don't know what it is in Minnesota, but it could make it harder. The higher the degree, the harder it is to get a conviction on with police officers in a situation like the George Floyd case. Um and you know, all this all this claims about they murdered him. I, I just I don't know they were ne- they were definitely negligent. Um, they did definitely use excessive force, but their if their intent was not to kill them, it's going to be hard to get a a conviction based on anything requiring an intent.
1: Right, right. Well, we uh, definitely some more interesting news came out this past week. Uh, the guy that... When you watch Paradise Lost, you kind of used to make fun of, or at least I know I did. He uh, passed away, I guess, in a car accident.
0: Yes, last Thursday night, John Mark Byers was killed in a single car crash in Millington, Tennessee. He had been living in Millington for many years. When when I met him, he was living in Millington.
2: Really. Um,
0: and. um okay. Yeah, it went out it was last Thursday night.
1: Uh, see, I it don't came. think i found out till roughly Sunday when, uh, when Brad sent me a link to the article. And I was like, what? Because the first thing I yeah. thought of was, I believe he had brain cancer at one point, didn't he? So I thought it was that. And then he, I read that it was a single vehicle accident.
0: Yeah, he had uh, what is what was essentially a benign tumor. It wasn't a malignant tumor. It was a benign tumor that ba- you know basically remained static. Mhm. Cuz I was diagnosed in 1993. Okay. Just prior to the murders in the in the West Memphis 3 case.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but it, it had remained, you know, the same, it hadn't changed and had grown. It really hadn't had any, any more effect on him, um, over the years. Cause when I met him, he still had the tumor, but it was, it was benign. It right. It wasn't a malignant, you know, cancerous tumor. Uh, right. And then also today is Christopher Byer's birthday. So oh, He would be 35 today.
1: So I go back, and now that I know it's a single or 36. vehicle. Now that I know it's a single vehicle accident, have they done, not to say that John was like this, and not to speak ill of the dead, but have they done any toxicology or anything on him? Like, was he uh, impaired?
0: I believe the Shelby County Sheriff's Office is still investigating. Okay. And more likely than not, unless somebody um pushes to get the investigation released, we probably
1: never know. Probably
0: won't hear. Yeah.
1: Okay. I mean, then that's fine. Because whether I he was
0: impaired or not, not nobody else was killed. Accident. He was alone in the vehicle. You know, um, there, there won't be any kind of charges filed.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah, and I mean, like I said, uh, the only reason why I ask that is because, uh, you know, you hear single vehicle accident, you automatically, or at least my brain automatically jumps to uh, DWI, DUI, something like that.
0: Or maybe right. being up, and, being the wheel. Right. It from what I my understanding it was fairly late. It was after eight thirty or nine o'clock on Thursday. Okay. So um and then Stephen Avery has tested positive for COVID nineteen.
1: Oh. According shit. to Kathleen
0: Zellner. Yeah.
1: So wait, hold on. Is this a legitimate test or is this a compassionate release? Because I know there's no, no, no. He's just no, no.
0: He's tested positive. He's not going to be released.
1: Okay, okay. Because I didn't know. Because I know here in Arkansas they did release. Well, I guess he wouldn't have qualified anyway here in Arkansas because it was for only nonviolent offenders. So yeah, he wouldn't have qualified anyway. Right. But.
0: And they're they're releasing nonviolent and pretrial detainees in a okay. lot of a lot of jurisdictions. But no, if you're convicted and you're serving a and you're serving your sentence, no, you're not gonna be released.
1: Right. Okay. Okay, I didn't know if maybe so, they were just trying to get some excuse out there to, hey, I need this, I, I need to be released, I feel bad, or
0: something. <laughs> no, and Kathleen Zellner announced it, so. Um, I guess it's legitimate, I don't know. <laughs> right, right. But, um and then uh, Rodney Reed, uh, his attorneys had filed a challenge, with the Texas Supreme Court uh, to the appointment of Judge J.D. Langley to oversee uh, Reed's post-conviction writ. And the Texas Supreme Court declined uh, their request to review. And so his, I think it's his third challenge to Judge Langley, has now been uh, declined. Mm-hmm. Denied.
1: Um, okay.
0: So it's funny because in the in the pleadings, first of all, they're not challenging based on oath of uh, the oaths that are required by judges in Texas. They challenge it basically saying that the the administrative judge who assigned Judge Langley was exceeding his authority, and they try to. They try to spin it as though the state is somehow trying to put the fix in on the judge. Right. But it's right. Rodney Reed who's trying to get the judge he wants to hear his case. Hmm. Okay. So um, so that uh, hearings are set for September. They start September 14th.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And um, they're going to go through, I think, September 14th through around the 21st. Okay. Or the 22nd. So that is it. And just so that, you know, just so listeners know, um, I had a minor health issue. And um, so we took a a little three-week break while I recovered. And I'm recovered, or recovering and going you through know, a lot of lifestyle changes.
1: <laughs> you're not allowed to scare the shit out of me like that anymore, young lady. I'm just saying. You text me and i <laughs> died.
0: I And I just, I had, um, well, I had just gotten home from the hospital. And I was, mm. how do I do this? What should I do? And I, I did the same thing to my boss. I texted him from the emergency room early Friday morning. So you're not alone. And I scared the crap out of both my sisters.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And then last Thursday, I really scared the crap out of both my sisters. Um, I had an appointment and it went longer than I thought it would go.
2: Oh, shit.
0: And I had my phone on airplane mode.
2: Oh, so that it wouldn't
0: be beep and ding and dong because I had to for the appointment that I had. And so we take a break and I I take my phone off airplane mode and I have like fifteen texts from one of my sisters. Like, Okay, you're scaring me. Where are you? What is going on? You better call me. I'm about to call N O P D and have them check <laughs> have them do a welfare check on your ass.
1: And I called her and let her
0: know what was going on. And and I had to have it on airplane mode because I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't have the phone dinging and, you know, dinging and announcing, you have a text from Lynn Bro. Yeah. (laughs) During my appointment. So, um, so that was kind of funny. And bless their hearts. They were, they were very worried.
1: Yeah, I can imagine that. That that that. Yeah, the last time. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine.
0: So yeah, that was that was a. Uh, uh, the next time I learn my lesson, and I will call on the first break and say it's taking longer than I thought.
1: Yeah. True. Sure. Good point. <laughs>
0: so that they know, you know. And I had lost track of time. I didn't even realize how late it was. Oh wow. Until I until I got the thirteen or fourteen or fifteen texts. Mm-hmm. Right. So but uh all right, were well, you ready to get back in in the swing of let's, things? Let's do it. All right. Um New York versus Stacey Ruth Daniels Caster. Um Stacey was born in July of 1967 in upstate New York. When she was 17, she met a young man by the name of Michael Wallace, who was born September 16, 1961, also in upstate New York. Uh, They're from the Syracuse area. Uh, I think it's like Cuyahoga County and Onondaga County and, you know, that area. Very cold, very, very, very cold winters. In July of 1987, Michael and Stacy's daughter Ashley was born. Uh, sometime after Ashley's birth, Stacy and Michael decided to tie the knot and get married. And then in 1991, their daughter Bree was born. In 1999, Michael began feeling ill. He was having stomach problems. he was feeling tired. He sounded sometimes to his family as though he had been drinking when he swore he hadn't uh, and he also had been um, had some discoloration of his skin and had some odd swelling.
2: Mhm, he
0: was. Supposed to see a doctor, but on January 11th, 2000, while he was at home with Ashley, who was 11, um, he died suddenly. And at the hospital, doctors believed his sudden death was the result of heart problems.
1: Now, his family. Oh, I apologize. Yeah.
0: Continue. Well, I, I was, was going to say his family. Uh huh. Okay. <laughs> I swear. Yes.
1: I was just going to say. Go ahead, I. And...
0: I see that there was
1: rumors of affairs in this first marriage. Correct. So why wasn't there? Was it originally investigated as potentially a murder the first go around
0: no, it was not. Um, Michael's no family wanted an autopsy. But yeah. the wife, Stacy, said, no, I trust the doctors. I think Uh-oh. he died of a heart problem. Hold and on, so there on. was no how autopsy. Can bitch,
1: how can the bitch you think cheating on him get to have a say in this when she's probably the freaking main suspect from well, the
0: Well, the, the rumors of affairs... And discord in the marriage just weren't, you know, nobody, Michael's family did not go to police and say, okay, this is a problem, this is what's going on. It was sort of, it kind of got under, the, it went under the radar. Okay. They thought something was wrong, they thought something was off, but they couldn't really put a finger on it to uh, to give authorities enough to work with. And with Stacy not saying, "Yeah, let's go ahead and do an autopsy. There's no autopsy results to counteract what the emergency room doctors believe was a a heart problem. Hmm. so huh. uh, Michael dies, and in two thousand two. Uh, a couple years after Michael's sudden death, uh, Stacy's father died suddenly. Mm-hmm. And Stacy was the executrix of his estate. He was in the hospital for a minor lung problem or minor lung complaint. Stacy apparently came in to visit her dad with an open soda, and her dad died. Again, nobody put two and two together there was no autopsy and Stacy actually had her father cremated uh, which is odd because I, I guess her mother and father were divorced I don't know whether her mother and father were still married right so, um, um,
1: I don't see that, any I don't see any news on that
0: it's I don't kinda, think... its really kind of odd, and there's not a whole lot of information about about this case, right? Um, out there, so you just kind of have to put put Keep it together as best you can, yeah. Right. So anyway, so that that's kind of an odd thing, and with Michael Wallace, there was life insurance with her dad. There was an estate; she probably would have had to split it with her siblings because I think she had a brother and sister. Um. But I guess, you know, she needed money. And then some point she met David Casser and began working for him as his office manager and then became his girlfriend. And in August of 2003, they married.
1: Right. Uh,
0: Something that her daughters were not real crazy about. Now, David Castor was also from upstate New York. He had a first marriage. Uh, It did not work out. He was apparently um, somewhat controlling in that marriage. And then Mm -hmm. after a head injury, he became a little bit more controlling. Right. And... After a point, his wife, who loved him very much, could no longer take it, and she left him. Mm -hmm. And um, he had a son, David Jr., from that first marriage. Um, The marriage with David was a little rocky because uh, Stacy's daughters didn't really want to see their father replaced. And David Castor kind of was like y'all moved into my house. I'm making the rules, and you're gonna follow them and that didn't go over too well with with Stacy's daughter Ashley or with her daughter her younger daughter Bree right however, two years into the marriage, I think they were a little bit better off as far as Ashley and Bree I think they had come to respect David a little bit more mm-hmm. and at least you know things weren't as volatile in the right. relationship with David so right.
2: um,
0: as they're approaching Stacy and David are approaching their second anniversary uh, David wants to go off with Stacy on a two-week vacation. Now, this is according to Stacy. I don't think there's anything that's been independently corroborated. And Stacy's one of those people that I personally would not believe unless, even if her tongue came notarized.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know,
0: unless Ashley or Bree or David's son or David's ex-wife corroborate what stacy's saying i don't necessarily believe it right um stacy says he wants to go off on this long vacation two weeks or something but she doesn't want to leave brie at home ashley can't go because ashley works for wendy's and has to be you know at to work she doesn't want to leave Brie because Bree's not old enough to be left home alone. But if Ashley's got to be there to work, and Ashley was eighteen, Ashley's old enough to watch her sister. And so Stacy wants to bring Bree on this romantic vacation for their anniversary, and David doesn't, and it's, it turns into a big, uh, you know, World War Three in their marriage. And apparently mm-hmm. on Friday, David Castor comes home and according to Stacy starts drinking. Southern comfort. Mm-hmm. And he locks himself in their bedroom. Stacy sleeps on the couch, four o'clock in the morning. She wakes up to go into the garage and smoke a cigarette. And David Castor comes in with a glass of Pepsi that he won't let her take a drink from. And they spend seven hours arguing about this trip. Um, Which, to me, does not make a whole hell of a lot of sense. And then David goes back in the bedroom and um, continues drinking. Uh, Ashley and Bree are gone. Uh, Ashley's staying with her boyfriend and his family. Bree's staying with friends. Stacy's in and out of the house she says they're fighting so she doesn't want to stay there but she's in and out of the house over the course of the weekend on Monday morning she goes to work now if you know if if my husband was locked in a room drinking Friday Saturday on Sunday I'm calling the cops and I'm calling a freaking ambulance and I'm getting his ass called off to the psycho ward because that much alcohol will kill you. But not Stacy. Stacy goes to work and, oh, David didn't show up for work this morning. She claims to make several phone calls to the house and several phone calls to David's cell phone. Um, Later records would not support that or corroborate that claim. And then in the afternoon or early evening on Monday, August 22nd, Stacy goes to the house and calls 911. and says my husband's in the bedroom drinking himself into a stupor, send help." And a police officer comes in. He has to close the door down, and that's when he finds David dead on the bed. Okay. And there are a few odd findings one of which is a glass with a bright green liquid sitting on a bedside table next to a bottle of diet cranberry juice and a bottle of Hiram brandy. Not really Southern comfort manly man style drinks, but okay. Um, after David's death, Stacy produces a two thousand three will that leaves everything to Stacy Castor and completely cuts out David's son, David Jr. She presents this to two of her friends, Lynn and Paul Pulaski, and she says David wanted to make this change to his will, but he never got around to signing it. Um, would you say you, you witnessed him signing it? And Lynn and Paul are like, sure, why not? And so they falsely sign a forged will with a forged signature on it. And um, so then that gets probated, and so Stacy inherits everything in David Castro's estate. In addition to a uh, life insurance policy, and also a like a four hundred and one IRA type account that Stacy gets the brunt of. So, in the investigation begins, and as I said, they found the glass with the green liquid. They also found under the bed an empty bottle of Peak antifreeze. And there are some problems with the with the Peak antifreeze bottle because it doesn't have David's fingerprints on it. And it's also in a place where he has apparently been sick, but it's not it's not like it looks like it's been put there after he got sick. So, kind of like staging a crime scene has been done. And uh, in the trash, a detective sees a uh, a turkey baster, and it looks brand new. And it's kind of hidden in the trash, like somebody didn't want it found. And so they they seize it, and testing later shows it smelled like alcohol. Testing later shows it had traces of antifreeze in it, and on the end of the turkey baster was David Castor's DNA. Um, okay. So an autopsy is done, and
1: I apologize. David apologize. I That's missed okay. about two minutes. I've missed about two minutes here. I went. I stepped away to get some tea, and of course, my computer decided to go to hell. Are we still in the same situation where uh, they found the alcohol bottle, and this is the same scenario, or the same occasion? Well, they
0: found the turkey baster in the trash.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: Like somebody had hidden it, like they didn't want it found, and they seized it, and it had traces of antifreeze and David Castro's DNA. The autopsy did find that David Castor's death was the result of ingestion of uh, ethylene glycol, because his body was loaded with ethylene with the crystals that form as a result of ethylene glycol poisoning. Um, The medical examiner initially, however, found that it was suicide. As part of the investigation. Stacy gave this long detailed statement about everything that happened that weekend. Everything that they did, where she was, where David was, where Bree was, where Ashley was. I mean, it was an incredibly long and detailed statement. Okay. Too and much
1: detail. Interestingly have, okay.
0: enough, when she testified at trial, and she made assertions that differed from that statement. She tried to claim that the officer who took her statement deliberately left important things out. We'll get to that later. Right. And, and I so, never feel uh,
1: did it, uh, once again. This is a situation where I feel like she did. She give too much information. So people were like, mm, you're kind of acting funky for giving us so much information. You know what I'm saying? Because it just strikes me as well, odd that she's so forthcoming.
0: No, I, I, well, she may have given a little bit too much information on some things. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were so many factors, you know, like the glass in the bedroom with the antifreeze in it. Right. That had Stacy's fingerprints on that glass, not David's. No fingerprints on the antifreeze bottle under the bed. And the antifreeze bottle under the bed is like in between vomit, but there's no vomit on it. Mm. Like it's been planted there. Okay. So... But again, you know, like Stacy's statement was was very detailed, but then later at trial, we'll get into it a little bit more. um, Details that you would have expected her to give in that statement aren't there. Um, The police did not want to close the case. When they got the results on the turkey baster and the glass, they went to the medical examiner who changed his autopsy. Um, Cause of death is what killed you. So ethylene glycol poisoning, calcium oxalate crystals, suffocation, that's a cause of death. Manner of death is accident, suicide, natural causes, murder homicide, so they got the medical examiner change his his manner of death from suicide to undetermined, and then they started surveilling Stacy's house. They put surveillance at the graveyard because guess where Stacy buried David? Right next to first husband Michael.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So apparently, and, and Stacy and Michael had a, a two plot grave. So Stacy was going to be buried between Michael and David when she eventually kicked the bucket.
1: Oh, shit. Okay.
0: So, um, so they did the surveillance, and another thing that they were able to do was they were able to get uh, a warrant to record Stacy's phone conversations. And it was in some of those phone conversations that they were able to get probable cause to finally, around 2007, to exhume Michael Wallace. And when they exhumed Michael Wallace, they found that his cause of death was not heart problems, but was calcium oxalate crystals from antifreeze, ethylene glycol poisoning, in addition to having been given a dose of rat poison. And after, um, on September 7th, after Michael Wallace was exhumed, they brought Stacy back in for an interview. And Stacy um, begins, you know, giving the interview. And at one point, She's looking at the glass of antifreeze, and she says, when I poured the anti and stopped Ooh. herself, it said, I mean, cranberry juice oh and then she and then she got very indignant, and she accused the detective of trying to frame her, and Thompson. she ended the interview.
1: oh Jesus, so
0: Christ. so um, that was now you know like i said an anti is a very unusual." Phrase. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And so on September 12th, investigators, Ashley was starting her first day of college, and investigators went to the college and visited with Ashley and talked to her and more or less let her know that they had exhumed her father and that he didn't die of a heart attack. Mm Mm-hmm. Ashley, of course, was very angry and very upset and very protective of her mom. And so she immediately calls Stacy. And Stacy says, well, let's get drunk. So she goes to the school, picks Ashley up, and brings Ashley home. And the two of them start drinking Smirnoff vodka and orange juice and Sprite. Um, Ashley gets woozy after just a little bit and goes and lays down and has a long nap. Right. She recovers, and then the next day, the 13th, her mom's like, let's do this again. I may not be around for your 21st birthday, so let's get drunk again. And Stacy mixes up another drink with uh vodka and orange juice and Sprite and when Ashley takes a sip it was nasty and she didn't like it. And Stacy's like, Oh, that's you're just not used to it. Put the straw at the back of your throat and drink it without letting the straw touch your tongue. Right. I mean, you know, I had a really I had a really cool mom, but mm-hmm. never did my mother and I drink together.
1: Yeah, no. Even
0: when I was an adult. <laughs> so, um so that drink Ashley ended up unconscious in her bed. The next morning on the 14th, um, because Stacy has apparently made sure that Bree has her alarm set to go get Ashley out of bed so Ashley can go to school and go to work. Um, Brie goes in and finds her sister unconscious in bed and knows something is wrong and calls mom. Um, frankly, I think Stacy wanted Bree to find Ashley dead. You know, Stacy didn't want to do it because that'll make her look guilty.
2: So just like
0: leaving her eleven-year-old daughter with her dying father, Mm Stacy wants somebody else to be there when the death is actually, you know, happening. Well, Stacy calls nine one one, and then while Stacy's on the phone with nine one one, Bree finds this note on. Ashley's bed or the floor of Ashley's room or you know wherever Stacy planted it uh hint hint I don't believe <laughs> mm-hmm. and um she you know she's like mommy look and and Stacy starts reading the note to the 911 operator cuz she's trying to establish that this is definitely a suicide or an attempted suicide and in the note Ashley is taking responsibility not only for the murder of Michael Wallace, but the murder of David Castor as well. And she's exonerating her mother, and she's so sorry that her mother has been blamed for all this. And it's so terrible, and you know she can't believe the police are so stupid as to think that her mother would have killed anybody. Um, right. the, the note was written with a lot of a lot of stuff about Stacy and how wonderful she was as a friend and a mom, and that's typically not how suicide notes are written. True, true. So you know that was some red flags. Another red flag is that Ashley's fingerprints are nowhere on that note. Stacy's fingerprints are on it. But not Ashley's. And huh. as the police are investigating Ashley's quote attempt at suicide, um, they seize the family computer and they find fragments of drafts of that note that were written at a time when Ashley was known to be in school. Stacy was at home. Right. And on one of their on one of their wiretaps they actually have Stacy on the phone with somebody talking about Michael Wallace's exhumation and talking about Michael Wallace having been poisoned and Stacy saying she just can't believe it and she wants them to prove it to her and you hear tick 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 tick, tick in the background.
2: Mhm.
0: And then later some um, I, I think painkillers or muscle relaxant pills similar to what was found in Ashley's system are found hidden in a closet right in the house. so um, Stacy was pretty quickly arrested after after when Ashley woke up, And police were asking her, what did you take? What did you take? What did you take? Um, This is a suicide note. Why did you write this? And Ashley's looking at them. I didn't try to kill myself. And I did not write any note. And police are like, okay, (laughs) we believe you. And so Stacy was arrested right around September 14th. Okay. Uh, And she was, was held in jail. She was eventually indicted for David Castor's murder as well as the attempted murder of Ashley. Now, not one to give up, um, Stacey Castor, of course, denied any involvement and claimed that Ashley did kill her father and David Castor. The reason Ashley killed her father is because her father called Brie princess or his princess. And was not as close to Ashley as he was to Brie. Hmm. Okay. Um, so that just makes absolutely no freaking sense for an eleven year old kid. Agree. Especially boy, one who never exhibited any signs of being um out of control or violent toward others or having a temper or anything of that nature. So the case went to trial in 2009 and the prosecution had a really pretty good, um, a pretty good bunch of evidence because they had the glass of Stacy's fingerprints and the antifreeze. Oh, and in the note, the word antifreeze, was anti-free, multiple times. Anti-free, 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 anti-free.
2: hmm
0: And um, we know Stacy Castor has referred to anti-free as anti-free.
1: Right. Absolutely.
0: So um, they had the computer evidence of when the note was written Uh, And it was written at a time when Ashley wasn't even home. Uh, They had the recorded phone calls with the, you know, the segment that has click, click, click in the background. They had the forgery of the will because when the police came to the Pulaski's, they threw Stacey under the bus Mm -hmm. and tried to get themselves out of trouble. Um, And they did get immunity for their part in the, in the will forgery.
2: Right. They had
0: Ashley's poisoning with alcohol and Ritalin, um, Ambien, uh, a muscle relaxant, painkiller, narcotic. I mean, she, they, she, she really is, she's lucky that she, that she did not expire during that night. Cause it was 17 hours before. Brief founder. Mm-hmm. Something, you know, she's lucky something something made her hang on. And then right. they also had them the fact that Michael Wallace was poisoned as well. Uh defense, aside from trying to create reasonable doubt and um, make people doubt Ashley, they they brought out some teenage letters that Ashley wrote talking about how she had thought about killing herself when a relationship ended
2: mm-hmm.
0: to make it seem like she was really suicidal. But even in that the the letter that she wrote to the boyfriend was talking about how unhappy Ashley was and sad she was that the relationship didn't work. It wasn't talking about her mother being a great mother And how, you know, she killed her father and her stepfather, and she felt so bad that her mother was being blamed for it. Um, And the worst thing that happened was that Stacey Castor thought that she could get up there and testify and fool the jury. And she was so, so, so wrong. Because when she tried to place Ashley in the house alone with David Castor
2: mm-hmm. over that
0: weekend, her long, detailed statement came back to bite her in the butt. Because there was the trip to the post office when Ashley was at home alone with David on Friday. Well, Stacy never mentioned that trip to the post office, and she never mentioned... Ashley being home alone with David. In fact, she had taken Ashley to work before this right. big argument and all the drinking starts. So, you know, the details the, the specific details in the in the statement came back to bite her on the ass because she was trying to claim specific details that weren't there. Mm-hmm. And so she said, "Well, what happened is I gave this long statement and then the um, the detective went and tr- and had it transcribed, and she fi- she picked what to put in there and what to leave out. And the uh, the prosecutor says, "Well, you read it and you signed it, and you made changes to it. So if this information's left out, why wouldn't you say anything at that time?" Right. And. Stacy sure. the other problem with Stacy Castor was you can watch her, her testimony and, and her uh, cross-examination on YouTube, and she was very belligerent. And she yeah. was very, like, she was invested in trying to get her version of the story out at any cost. And well, so she I... was being non-responsive where she should have just said yes or no, she was trying to throw out her version of the story. Hm. And she was very argumentative and very belligerent with the prosecutor, and he was belligerent. He yelled at her a few times and, you know, kind of uh, harkened back to Juan Martinez with Jodi Arias. <laughs> but uh, sure. at one point he said she just got his Irish out. Hmm. So, um, in early February, the, both sides rested, and the jury got the case for deliberation, and they found Stacey Castor guilty of second-degree murder in the death of David Castor and attempted second-degree murder uh, in the attempt to kill Ashley Wallace. Right. Um, the... Court set a later sentencing date, and the, uh, the court sentenced her to 25 years to life on the second-degree murder of David Castor and 25 years to life on the attempted murder of Ashley Wallace, and then another one and a third to four years on the forgery of the will. So basically, Stacey Castor would have had to serve 51 years prior to becoming eligible for parole. Earliest release date with Department of Corrections was listed in 2055, which she would have been about 88 years old. And you want to take a quick break, or do you just want to power through?
1: Uh, we can take a break. Uh, I'm sure you probably need at least to get a drink of, a drink of something to uh, Yeah. go ahead and give your throat a break. So we'll go ahead and take a quick commercial break, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be right back with more Clear and Convincing after this. Each and every Thursday night, join Mr. Team Bring It and Nappy Boy as they bring you the Heels for Life podcast. A look at professional mainstream wrestling and all the headlines surrounding it for the week. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your one-stop shop source for professional wrestling news and rumors. It's the Heels for Life podcast live every Thursday night right here on Talk Radio 49. monday night join the bad guy brad hicks the money man michael carnahan and of course the pretty boy sean castleberry as they bring you your humorous look at all current events going on in the world it's the american idiot show live on talk radio 49 Every other Thursday night, right here on Talk Radio 49, join your hosts, Michael Carnahan and Cornbread, as they bring you the best wrap-up show in indie professional wrestling. It's the ASWF Aftermath Show, only on Talk Radio 49 and ASWF Wrestling's Facebook Live. And I join Michael Carnahan and Lisa O'Brien for the Clear and Convincing podcast live on Talk Radio 49. A look at the most important cases in the country's history, not from the court of public opinion, but from the eyes of the court. Every Tuesday night, live right here on Talk Radio 49. Michael Carnahan here, letting you know that it has never been easier to keep up with your favorite Talk Radio 49 podcast. If you like the American Idiot Show, go on over to Facebook. Like the American Idiots Podcast on Facebook, where we actually now offer a video streaming service with our podcast so you can see us live as we record the show. Also, you can go to YouTube, search out American Idiots Podcast on YouTube, and you can subscribe to the page, and the video podcast will be uploaded there weekly. Also, Clear and Convincing on Tuesday nights, you can go ahead and like the Clear and Convincing podcast over on YouTube, subscribe, and the episodes are updated there weekly as well. And for our new show fans, hashtag Heals for Life. Once again, that's... That's hashtag H-E-E-L-S, number four, L-Y-F-E Wrestling Podcast. Shows will be uploaded there weekly as well on YouTube. And if you are a fan of everything we offer here at Talk Radio 49, and you have an iPhone, go on over, search out Talk Radio 490, and you can subscribe to all of our content there on iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcast fix. It's once again never been any easier to be a fan of Talk Radio 49 and keep up with all of your favorite shows.
0: Of Arizona versus
1: Jodianne Ann Arias, verdict count one. We the jury, duly impaneled and sworn, and the above entitled action upon our oaths do find the defendant as you count one first degree murder guilty. I've been in a raid, please. but it must have been a wrong time. I was in a right Clear and convincing with Michael Carnahan and Lisa O'Brien, where we explore the most infamous cases in our country's history based not on the court of public opinion, but from the perspective of the courts. This time, the court will read the verdicts. On count one, the verdict reads as follows We, the jury, find the defendant. Stephen A. Avery, guilty of first-degree intentional homicide as charged in the first count of the information. i in a
2: The mother been wrong song. in a All
0: right, and we're back.
1: Yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. So I believe we were... Uh give us a give us a rundown of where we just were. We're uh at direct oh, appeal
0: career. <clears throat> right. Um <laughs> after four days of deliberations the jury convicted Stacey Castor and she was sentenced to about right? minimum of fifty one years in prison before she'd be eligible for parole. She mm-hmm. filed a direct appeal and um that was not successful. She challenged the admission of the Michael Wallace evidence in the trial. Mm -hmm. And uh, basically the appellate court found that that was the judge's prerogative to decide whether or not it was admissible, that the state met their burden, and it was admissible, and, um, you know, New York law permitted and then she you know challenged a couple of other things nothing really that unique um but uh her her appeal was very short and to the point and she uh her her uh Conviction and sentence were affirmed on direct appeal. Now, also in her, in connection or or in conjunction with her direct appeal, she also filed an early state post-conviction writ claiming that in 2005, she told police that an attorney was representing her in connection with David Castor's estate. That attorney basically, um, consulted with police, and got her to cooperate in the investigation of David Castor's death. And therefore, she argued that her September 7th, 2007 statement about anti-free should not have been admitted because her right to counsel was violated.
1: Now, Lisa, I want to ask you something real quick before we keep moving on here. I want to ask you – So, looking at her age, she's listed as 48, or, excuse me, never mind, but looking at where, the the date in which, uh, the date in which, you know, she passed uh, in 16, she was 48 then, she was going to be natural life, correct? I mean, she was going to be 90 by Mm -hmm. the time she got out of there, correct? Correct.
0: Well, yeah, at, theoretically, at your, her, she wouldn't have been eligible for parole until eighty-eight.
1: Okay, eighty-eight. Okay. Her
0: earliest would have been still, at I, the age of eighty-eight.
1: I, relatively, looking at you know, looking at lifespans these days, she probably wouldn't have made it to parole.
0: Mm, uh, well, you can't. You know, you can't really predict that cuz like mm-hmm. her mother, I think her mother is still around. Okay. So, you know, it it, it there are a lot of factors that that go into life expectancy. Mhm. Um of course, her smoking probably is one of those things that shortened her life expectancy, but we'll get into that later. Okay. <laughs> Okay. So, anyway, um, so the appellate court, the judge of the trial court had summarily dismissed the claim regarding her right to an attorney. And the appellate court found that he should have had a hearing to determine whether or not she did invoke her right to counsel in 2005 and whether that right to counsel. attached or was attached in 2007 when she was subsequently questioned and so they remanded the case back to the trial court for a hearing and so that was a state post-conviction it went back for a hearing and basically the uh, trial court found and the appellate court affirmed that Because the attorney was representing Stacey Castor in connection with the estate in a civil matter, he was not representing her in the criminal matter or in a potential criminal matter, then her telling police an attorney represented her in 2005 did not uh, not mean she had an attorney in 2007. If she had an attorney in 2007, she should have told police in 2007 that she had an attorney, and she didn't. So um, that basically was was the end of her state post conviction. Now she would have probably moved on to federal court, uh, but then. There was also David Castor Jr. sued Stacy Castor, the Pulaskis, and other people. Um, I guess to whom Stacy Castor transferred assets asset
2: mm-hmm.
0: after her inheriting them from David. Um, mm-hmm. The a part of the case settled, so. Part of the case settled, and David Castor got return of assets or, or money from some of the defendants, and then claims against them were dismissed. But he continued to claim against Pulaski and Stacy Castor, and okay. after Stacy Castor's conviction – uh, that basically went to trial, and the trial judge ordered that uh, basically found that David Castor was the sole heir to David Senior's estate. That, um, with some exceptions, David Castor was entitled to over a hundred thousand or a hundred eighty something thousand dollars from David Castor's estate. Right. And in addition, the judge awarded him punitive damages against the Pulaski's and David Castor. And he also dismissed a counterclaim that the Pulaski's filed against Stacey Castor. So basically, the Pulaski's are on the hook for over $300,000 in damages to David Castor Jr. Mm -hmm. For their part in the forged will that resulted in his being basically defrauded of his father's, uh, of a portion of his father's estate. Right. Um, Because theoretically, and I I don't, I don't think New York is a a community property state anyway. If Mm -hmm. David Castor didn't change his will, his son would have inherited everything. Okay. All right. Um, If there was some, you know, community property, but like the house belonged to David Castor before he got married. The business belonged to David Castor before he got married. So, I mean, the majority of the estate would have gone to David Jr. Hmm. Um, So, you know, again, that's while Stacy Castor tried to downplay it, um, David Castor's estate was worth well over two hundred and thirty thousand dollars. Right. With the business, the property, the home, uh the you know, the business, the property the property the business was on, you know, a lot of uh equipment for the business. And I think she just pissed it all away.
1: Right, absolutely.
0: So, um and he can you know, David Junior can collect from the Pulaskis. Hmm. Okay. Um. He doesn't have to, you know, he doesn't have to collect from Stacy Castor, and then get the difference from the Pul. No, he can collect the whole thing from the Pulaskis. <laughs> or you know, he can he can collect everything they've got, and I hope he did. Right. And, um, like I said, he did settle with other defendants who, were, who he made claims against. So I, I think he's probably recovered a pretty good portion uh, of the estate. Yeah. And then in June of 2016, Stacey Castor was found dead in her cell at I think it was, she was at Medford Hills Correctional Facility in, in New York.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um there the uh the ultimate determination was natural causes no foul play, no suicide. And after Stacy Castor's death, David Sr.'s family Was able to get a court order moving his grave from the grave between with Stacy and between Michael Wallace and David Castor. And they moved him to another cemetery in another part of uh, upstate New York. Right. And bought him a new headstone that did not have wife of Stacy on it. Mm hmm. And so and that is Stacy Castor. Dang, that was um, quick.
1: I mean, you know, yeah. and I didn't give the spoiler alert, but yeah, let's be honest, she probably with prison health standards the way they are, she probably wasn't making it out. Um, it's just that she, you know, died of a heart attack. The first thing obviously and I, I've kind of been conditioned to this, but you know, And it's a sad fact, but, you know, the first thing I thought of when you said she was found dead in her cell, first thing I thought of was, well, shit, did she kill herself? Or did something happen? What the fuck? You know, things like that. So, I mean, once again, it's probably a situation where we've just been conditioned at this point to think automatically of that, but... uh,
0: Well, no, I mean, she was a smoker, and she probably had, you know, minor problems Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and just didn't, you know, maybe didn't get care in prison or got care but didn't quit smoking and didn't, you know, didn't take medication. Right. And, or, I mean, like with me, I, I didn't have any blood pressure issues.
1: I mean, I'll tell you this much: just looking and at her, all of a sudden
0: oh, one night, my blood pressure's, you know, uh, sky high. Right. Just looking
1: at her, and if I hadn't had gone
0: to the hospital, I wouldn't have woke up that. the next morning.
1: True. True. Very true. You know.
0: I see. If that, I thought uh, it was just going to pass.
1: I see, and obviously they weren't in. Uh, they weren't in. Uh, they weren't in the uh, outline, but it does look like this case has been covered a few times in mainstream uh, media. Looks like uh, mm-hmm. she was in a Lifetime film, uh, "Poison Love," the Stacey Castor story. Uh, I guess that yeah. aired uh, February this year
0: um, on Lifetime.
1: I guess Forensic Files has covered it.
0: Correct, uh, 2020.
1: Sex, lies, and murder. Um, and it looks like that may be in 2020. There, oh, 2020. Yep, I see it now. Yep. I see it now. Yeah. And then there's a
0: file on YouTube that says Dateline, but it was 2020.
1: Okay. Okay. There's definitely. <laughs> oh. If you want to know more about Stacy, there's definitely enough options to find out about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And actually, the 2020 is good because um, they actually. They were there during the trial in two thousand nine.
2: Oh wow! And
0: okay. she gave interviews to David Muir. And um, so yeah, you can see interviews of You can see interviews with Stacey Castor, her mother, Ashley Bree, and the prosecutor Fitzgerald. Mm hmm so yeah it it and it it was a very good it it was good uh they rebroadcast that in February of this year, okay, and it was pretty good yeah okay right on. so um yep, so that is um is stacy castor
1: hmm you know uh definitely didn't know a lot about her going into this, but you know she was she kind of Fell into the uh, into a stereotypical pattern of women killing their husbands. As far as like how it's been done, uh, poison. From mm-hmm. what I've seen on all these, you know, deadly women and all that shit on Investigation Discovery, poison seems like one of the uh, one of the choice methods of women to kill their husbands. So she definitely didn't set break any new ground by the way she did it. She just. She wasn't that smart either, was she?
0: I never got the smart Not particularly.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I never got the smart vibes from old Stacy there. Which, you know, then leads to not surprising she got caught. You know, uh, the second, it honestly shocks the hell out of me she got away with it the first time. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I think Michael Wallace's death kind of slipped through the cracks.
2: Right. True.
0: And um, so, you know, nobody could really articulate what the problem might be in order to get police to look at it. And so, yeah, that slipped through the cracks. Now, she should have counted her, you know, self lucky and um, divorced David Castor if things weren't working out.
1: Yeah, but once again,
0: but, I mean, think um,
1: she's not the smartest. But in the she world. had
0: the
1: she had Helen. the financial
0: motive. She had the financial motive. She wanted everything, and it's I true. think I think once her again, boyfriend at the time of her arrest was her next victim. Oh, Jesus Christ. Right. You know, that that's what I think that was a, a you know, a lucrative uh, thing for her.
1: And I mean, you know, she got away with it once. Maybe if she hadn't done it again, luckily she okay, I can't say luckily she did it again, but you know, if she hadn't done it again, we wouldn't have found out about the first time. So she would have gotten away right.
0: with it, right? Exactly. Um, if she had, if she hadn't done it again, she would have gotten away with the first one.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And yeah, I think what really got her was trying to kill Ashley. Right. Um, if she hadn't done that and tried to pin the murders on Ashley then you know they might have had a harder time proving her guilty in either murder. Mm-hmm. So um but that is that is Stacy.
1: Absolutely. Well, Miss Lisa, I'm glad we're, I'm certainly glad we're back. Uh, it's been a while. It's been a long three weeks. It felt like a lot longer, I'll tell you that much. Honestly, I thought we were going <laughs> a lot longer. Uh, actually, Haley was asked, talking to me the other day, and she was like, when are y'all coming back? And I was like, I'm, I, I don't know. I'm letting Lisa do her thing right now, you know, because I was concerned about you. I was like, I'm letting Lisa do her yeah. thing right now. Get her stuff in order and uh you know, the other yesterday she was she asked me, she's like, Do you have a show tomorrow? And I said, Yeah, we're gonna do clear and convincing and she's like, Oh, okay, so y'all are coming back and I was like, Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well I'm glad you had American Idiots to kinda keep you out of trouble.
1: Yeah, yeah. We've been having fun. Uh we we've been testing out a new uh streaming ability, so that's pretty cool. We do the uh we do the show on here, but we also offer it on uh, American Idiot's podcast on Facebook uh, via live stream. We found a way to okay. live stream. So, it's definitely pretty cool. Getting okay. That going. And, of course, now we yeah. have the new show, uh, the wrestling show on Thursday nights, Hashtag Heels for Life. Uh, that's been fun, getting that underway, uh, getting everything to go. And uh, the guys on there are pretty quite hilarious. So, it's always entertaining to listen to those guys.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, that's good. All right. Well, are you ready to call it a night?
1: Let's do it, Miss Lisa.
0: All right. Thank you for listening to Clear and Convincing with Lisa. Don't mute me. Don't mute I'm me, Michael.
1: Sorry. I'm sorry. I meant to mute myself. <laughs>
0: Thank you for listening to Clear and Convincing with Lisa O'Brien and Michael Carnahan. If you like our show and you want to know more, you can find us on Facebook, go to our blog at clearandconvincingpodcast.wordpress.com or follow me on Twitter at O'Brien L. Ann. Join us next week on Tuesday, June 30th, 2020 at 8 o'clock p.m. Central for episode 16, Commonwealth of Massachusetts versus Aaron Hernandez. During his career, Hernandez's talent on the field was often overshadowed by his reputation as a bad boy off the field. In 2013, Hernandez, a tight end for the New England Patriots, was arrested and charged with the murder of Odin Lloyd. A year later, while awaiting trial in the Lloyd case, Hernandez was charged with the, double tw- the 2012 double murder of Daniel Correa de Abreu and Safiro Furtado. We'll talk about the evidence against Hernandez, his trial and conviction in 2015 for Odin Lloyd's murder, and his 2017 acquittal after trial for the murders of Diabrao and Furtado. We'll also talk about Hernandez' 2017 suicide, the abatement of the Lloyd conviction, and its reinstatement by the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court. Until then, have a great week and stay safe. Good night.